This edition of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes originally aired September 16, 2009. Julie's guest was John Katz, author of Soul of a Dog. Stay tuned for this great interview. Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 11:50 a.m., and we are here today with a wonderful guest, author John Katz of Soul of a Dog, is Hi. here in the studio with us today. Welcome to Seattle, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so uh, the uh, this show could not be more perfectly timed as last weekend I actually had to let go of my 12-year-old dog Chewy who uh, I've been talking about on previous shows we just actually did um, a breed DNA test and Mm -hmm. um, he we found out that he was bleeding internally and happened sort of unexpectedly he was 12 and um, so I've been going through that since you know, for the past week, certainly at least. And um, so, John, your your visit here comes wonderfully timed, and I am really looking forward to talking with you about your book, and there's all sorts of wonderful stories about your dogs and your reflections on, well, it says reflections on the spirits of the animals of Bedlam Farm, which is your farm in New York, right? Upstate, Upstate New York, right. Yeah. Way and, up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you have... Dog-wise, two Border Collies and a Black Lab. Lenore, the Hound of Love. Yeah, the Love Dog. And uh, Rose, the the Queen of the Farm, seven-year-old Border Collie. Right. And Izzy is also seven-year-old male. Right, right. Not quite the work ethic, though, of Rose. Well, he does. He's a hospice therapy dog, so he does. uh, He has a very intense work ethic for that. He doesn't, he's not interested in running around after sheep. Yeah. Well, that that uh, that position seems to be filled fully yes, with with Rose. So, so um, we are certainly open for callers. If people have comments at any time, feel free to give us a call four two five three seven three five five two seven, or toll free in Western Washington eight 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 two nine eight five five six nine. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, John, and and what inspired you to write the book and just kind of give us an introductory to yourself. Well, I have a 100-acre farm in upstate New York, and I have uh, the, the four dogs, uh, the two border collies, the lab, and a, a new dog, Frida, who's a rescue sh- Rottweiler shepherd mix. who's mm-hmm. quite challenging. <laughs> um, and, I've, and I've lived up with some other animals, so uh, sheep and donkeys primarily, and goats and cows at various times. Um, I, I, and this is my seventh book about dogs. <clears throat> I got into this subject because I, I remember reading a Harvard School of Health survey it was taken in 1960 and asked Americans whether they thought their, their companion animals had souls. And 98% said no. That was kind of a silly question. Dogs couldn't have souls. And they took the same survey three years ago, and hmm. it was exactly the opposite. 98% said, of course they have souls. Why hmm. would you even ask a question like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was amazed at the shift, uh, what would have caused such a, such a seismic shift in just a generation, really. Mm-hmm. 
Um, an idea that was considered ludicrous uh, a while back was now almost universally held. And I also um, am aware from my other books and my research in general, uh, you know, of the growing uh, emotional connection between people and companion animals. You, you talked about uh, about Chewy and the grieving you're feeling. Um, all along the book tour, I, people are just torn up about the loss of, for years sometimes, and mm-hmm. I don't quite know how to deal with it. This is pretty new, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the life of a dog in America 30 years ago was unbelievably different. They they ran loose pretty much. They hadn't even invented, there wasn't even such a thing as dog food until the 60s. You know, Probably that, a good thing, actually. Maybe. They just <laughs> ate scraps and garbage, and, yeah. and uh, they ran loose and had sex, and and got into trouble, and if something happened to them, you just got another dog. Yeah. Um, and people didn't spend money on vet bills and all of that. Yeah. So, so I, I think what, what we're seeing, what I wanted to write about, was the, the, the need we have for these animals, which is, I think is growing. Mm-hmm. I think as our society becomes disconnected, a little fragmented, um, you know, technology is stressful, um, politics is difficult, uh, religion is kind of weakened a bit. Um, so people are looking for for something to love and something they can depend on. Mm-hmm. Um, and more and more dogs and cats are filling that role. As to the soul question, you know, I don't have an answer, obviously. I wouldn't, <laughs> uh, I don't know if, if dogs have souls. For me, I thought I used the secular definition of a soul, which is the animating spirit of an animal. In Rose's case, it would be work. Um, in Lenore, it would be affection. Izzy would be connection with people. Um, now, the, the religious definitions are different. You know, in, in Christianity, dogs don't go to heaven. They don't have souls. They don't, they don't ascend. Um, and Judaism doesn't really deal with it. And, uh, and Muslim faith pretty much is in line with Christianity. The only religion that talks about animals having spirits really is Buddhism. Um, and I went back and, and found some of the early writings about the subject, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Thomas Aquinas, I was, I was really fascinated by all of these people who have been writing about this for thousands of years, fascinated by this question of are human and animal souls different? Um, are they like us or are we like them? Do they have souls? Should they have souls? And one of the things that occurred to me researching the book is that in Plato's time, um, the human soul was considered sacred. Human beings were just beginning to reshape the world. They were inventing culture. They were inventing democracy. They were inventing you know, science, and there was a sense of great possibility for them. The human spirit was supposed to be an amazing thing. Animals were seen as either food or just, you know, things that hauled hay around. Um, But it was the human spirit that was really worshipped. In our day, I think it's beginning to turn, and people are disappointed in people. We're beginning to worship animals. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, when's the last time anybody criticized a dog that you know (laughs) Yeah. And and it's a big change. It's a huge change. Mm-hmm. And I think it's caused a lot of uh, redefinition of our relationship with with these species, mm-hmm. getting very close to them. There's a, I have a lot of quotes from your book in front of me that we could spend hours, hours talking about. But, um, you know, it's interesting as we really look at uh, human need and, you know, what we're creating out of our own needs and subconscious and conscious and all that. There's a quote um, that says, primitive man must tame the animal in himself and make it his helpful companion. Civilized man must heal the animal in himself and make it his friend. And I think that that is something that dogs really 
bring to our lives and something that I work with my clients on a lot in behavioral training issues with their dogs is that if people can get back in touch with that animal part of themselves, communication with their dogs is so much easier and so much more natural. And when we get kind of caught up in our head and we talk, 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 and we're not present about our energy, what we're doing with our body, our actions, our follow through, our intention, which is mainly how dogs communicate with each other. Um, it seems like that's something that I try to presence in my clients as they're trying to understand and work with and live with their own dogs. And a lot of people don't really have a clue about dogs and then they get dogs. They don't understand them as animals. And I think that in understanding dogs as animals who have evolved with people for anywhere from 14,000 years to over 100,000 years, um, in understanding dogs as animals, I think we kind of get back in touch with our animal sides as well, which I think there's a need for that today. That's a very good point. I think, uh, I mean, the, the part of it that I certainly resonate with especially is, is that I, I worry that, as I'm sure you're, you're referring to that, people are losing touch uh, with the animal nature of animals, and they're, they're seeing them as little children. Mm-hmm. And they're treating them as children, and they're talking to them as children, and uh, and and the dogs don't understand that message. You know, that's not the way they communicate. They don't understand the words or the feelings. Um, and I think it's you know it's it's impossible to train a dog who's being treated as a child, just as you would not want to raise a child like a dog. I mean, they're just very different, and 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 we're losing the difference. Um, and I think it's true. I think that turning into the animal parts of ourselves. Um, would help us understand them certainly, mm-hmm. uh, but but I think what I see happening um, is is people are really losing touch of, with them as animals. They mm-hmm. just don't see them as animals anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't like that. This is not a message people want to hear from me, and I suspect it's not a message they want to hear from you either. They just don't. It's not what they want to hear. They want to hear that their dog is just like an adorable little little kid, and um, and if they shower it with love, uh, that everything will work out. Yeah, and and that doesn't usually happen. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid. It's been my experience that people, once they understand why, that they're pretty open to like, okay, it's, this isn't, it might be hard for them to make this adjustment for themselves, but I've found people to be, at least my clients, pretty open to the, you know, to being reminded of or educated about the dog's needs as dogs and that it's not just affection and love. They need structure they need a job they need mental stimulation physical exercise all that kind of stuff and there's another quote from your book uh, that says if animals lack human style consciousness if they act purely out of instinct why do we have so much trouble accepting that why do we need so badly to remake them in our own image and what came to mind for me is that we do that even in our in our thoughts of of a god that it's you know a man with a white beard sitting up in heaven and and then you know and how we do that with our animals and how we do that because it's what we comprehend it's what our minds can grasp and actually how limiting that is to other creatures you know they're not like us we can't understand really what it is like to think like a dog or a donkey you know what is the What's the level of consciousness, you know, how do they think if they don't have language like we do? How, what, are, what are thoughts like? Are they there? Are they not there? Um, but it is interesting that we really 
you know, this whole anthropomorphizing and putting human traits onto dogs helps us to understand them, but it also limits our understanding of them too. And just sort of letting them be and, and being okay with what you said at the beginning of the show, you know, I don't know. Ultimately, I don't really know. Do dogs have souls? I don't know. I have, you know, I can, I can say what I'm likely to believe, but to say that I know, I mean. No, no, there's a mystery to them that is, is very precious to me. Um, you know, you, you read, I'm sure, a lot of these studies that I read. Um, I was fascinated to, to kind of explore, you know, I mean, a dog, a dog whose owners will call you is a lucky dog because it shows some motivation and interest to begin with. Somebody's going to take the trouble to find you and hire you. They care, and they're going to work on that. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, most people don't want to do that. Um, I, I was really drawn into kind of understanding the reality of the dogs that I care about. Um, I didn't want to guess what was going on. I wanted to sort of come as close as I could to understanding how they do think. Mm-hmm. And I was very surprised by what I was learning. It, w- it was uh, people tell all kinds of stories about what their dogs are thinking and the dogs are feeling and they're angry and they're upset and they're resentful and this and that. Um, and, of course, they don't have words. They don't have language. They don't have narrative stories like we do. Um, and the st- stuff that I was reading and the behaviors I was talking to were more and more connecting dogs to autistic thinking. That the consciousness of a dog is, is very similar to autism mm-hmm. in that it, it is sensory images mm-hmm. that trigger responses. Mm-hmm. Um, and not so much in terms of words, but in terms of images and responses. Um, and, and working with Rose and other dogs on the farm, that's really what, what I see. Um, you know, when Rose bails me out of a tough spot, she's not sitting there thinking, well, you know, I've got to save this idiot again. He's in trouble again. <laughs> um, she's reacting to a series of stimulus that mm-hmm. are beyond my imagination. You know, I, one of the things I love about uh, this novel I'm writing about, about a border collie on a, on a farm is I'm imagining her running through the woods. And, and you know, we're not, we can't even imagine what they see that we don't see, what they smell, what they hear. It's a million stories are pouring into her, her head all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, not only with sheep, but, you know, birds I don't see and mice in the ground and things she smells. And, I don't, you know, they're all telling her stories mm-hmm. all the time. And I can imagine her mind is this, you know, riotous kaleidoscope of images and lights and shades of gray and colors and, and thoughts. Um, and it's beyond my ability to grasp it. I don't see these things. I don't feel these things. I just have no idea what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the behaviors talk about their, their brains working like a microprocessor mm. um, to take a lot of images and process them in, in unimaginable speed and complexity. Mm-hmm. And all this goes on completely out of our, our awareness. Mm. Um, and and I, I like sometimes to, to, to you know, to, to test myself by just not putting words into her head, yeah. you know, and just not doing that. And then that helps me see kind of what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. Well... We're going to take a quick break. We will be back in just a few minutes with author John Katz of Soul of a Dog, Reflections on the Spirits of the Animals of Bedlam Farm. You're listening to The Dog Show, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Yeah, this is a story of famous dog. For the dog that chases its tail, we'll be busy. He's a clapping dog. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? 
or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country, but if you live in Western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the new pro supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, May 28th, it's a Talk With Your Animals Sunday with gifted animal communicator, medium and Reiki master Darcy Pariso. Darcy can help you talk with and learn about your animal friends or help you connect with animal or human loved ones on the other side. Plan to give us a call on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities, you name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show. I'm your host, Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. We are back with author John Katz of Soul of a Dog, Reflections on the Spirits of the Animals of Bedlam Farm. Welcome back, John. Thank you. So, you know, we're talking about... Um, in your book, you talk about all sorts of different types of animals. I love what you say about your goats and how they just... Uh, Obnoxious. They're just, yeah. <laughs> Obnoxious. <laughs> they're just criticizing you all the time. And, <laughs> the jeering gallery. Yes. And, um, and then about this um, gigantic... Um, no, I know it's not a cow, but... The Swiss steer. Yeah. Well, Elvis. 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 Yeah. And how he's manipulated you into giving him extra bales of hay and candy bars and stuff like that. And your sort of awareness of that process and how you kind of got caught and had to kind of stop. Well, it's funny. I think, I think we, we write the stories we want to write with these animals. And, um, you know, I perceive the goats are always yelling at me and jeering and bleeding and buying. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I perceive them as laughing at me, which, of course, is not what they're doing. They probably just want to eat. And, yeah. um, and there, but there's a running commentary going, so that's the role they fill for me. Uh, Elvis is a 3,000-pound Swiss steer. He's a monster. And, uh, and uh, when I'm writing in, in my study, um, he, he started coming to the fence, the pasture fence, looking, saw me through the window, 
And he started bellowing in this, you know, really piteous, pleading way, I thought. And I would go running out there and, you know, what's wrong? And, and I said, well, he had to be hungry. Mm-hmm. So I would drag out a bale of hay and give it to him, and he would devour it and then go off happily. And the next day he was back at the same time and doing the same thing. And I thought, well, he's just not getting enough to eat. So I would run out and give him a bale of hay a day. And the vet came, and I said, you know, I want Ellis is, I think, not eating enough. And he said, you're out of your mind. He said, he's, he's a monster. He said, he's got plenty of food. <laughs> and it occurred to me who the dumb beast is in the relationship, you know. <laughs> I said, who, who, you know, this is a, a cow, for God's sakes, and he's smarter than I am. And this, of course, is also what, what, what dogs do so brilliantly is they figure out, they know how to get us to do things for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know how to get us to feed them and give them treats and get them into bed. And, uh, and raccoons haven't figured that out, which is why they suffer more than dogs. And squirrels haven't figured that out. And they don't play us that way. They don't look us in the eye and wag their tails and run up and lick us on the hand. Um, so we don't see them as unconditionally loving us, so we don't take very good care of them. You know, humans are rough on most of the species in the world, mm-hmm. uh, animal species, but not dogs and cats. And... Uh, I think it's their genius is their ability to touch these little emotional cords in us and get us to respond to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and people more and more, I think, you know, I have trouble with the equations of them as children. I mean, they're not like children to me. I have a barn cat mother I wrote about in the book. Yes, I have a quote about her. You have a quote about mother. Yeah. <laughs> well, a friend of mine said she had a cat and the cat was like her child. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, I, I want to observe the cat and see what that, what that means. And, um, I hadn't really paid a lot of attention to them. And, um, you know, they get rid of the, the rats and the mice, and, and uh, they're very independent. So I spent an afternoon watching Mother, and I was really shocked. <laughs> I was really shocked. Yeah. It was like a three-hour killing spree. Yeah. And torturing and for dismembering fun. for fun <laughs> yeah. with the exquisite cruelty and, and glee. Yeah. And I thought, wow, they're, they're really not like us. Yeah. Um, which, of course, you know, they're not evil. They're, they're just being cats. Yeah. Well, I actually have a quote about just that, about Mother. Um, but I also want to let listeners know, uh, if you have a comment or thoughts about whether you think dogs have souls or reflections on that, uh, for the first caller today, we are giving away $50 in gift vouch- vouchers for Wellness Pet Food. So give us a call right now, 425-373-5527. That's 425 373 5527 or toll free in Western Washington 888-298-5569 and we will send you out $50 in wellness pet food gift vouchers. Uh, You can either leave a message as to whether you think yes or no dogs have souls. If you'd like to talk on air, we would love to hear your comments live. That's 425-373-5527 or toll free in Western Washington 888-298-5569. First caller gets $50 in wellness gift vouchers. So uh, I have a quote about Mother, uh, who is your cat, your barn cat. How old is Mother? I'm not positive. I think she's probably four or five years. Okay. So it says, if mother were equal to ours, equal to or superior to humans in her self-awareness, consciousness, soul, and spirit, if she were, as so many people say of their pets, just like a child, then probably I should call the police, have mother arrested or committed. And, you know, and you talk about, you know, we need to really be, be careful in conversations of good and evil that we don't have those conversations about animals because if we did attribute that to like as you were saying you were observing mother for an afternoon and it was like a killing spree 
a joyous killing spree and be like, oh, my God, she's a sociopath. But that's what cats do. And I think that that's really important to remember in today's society as there's all of these dog aggression laws being made and that we, you know, human responsibility is really the main issue. Aggression is natural. That's how dogs communicate. Part of how they communicate, how they communicate with each other. That's how Rose moves livestock is, I mean, if you filmed it and looked at it, it would technically be aggression. She's using her teeth, she's lunging, she's nipping, all that kind of stuff. But then when it's, you know, when we see that in society, people tend to freak out and it's like, ah, bad dog, that's a bad dog. And, you know, we just really, I don't know what the answer is, but it's got to be a balance and that we can't forget that that's, that's part of what it is to be a dog. Uh, that's right. And, and I, th- I think the, the, the bottom line is that, in a way, our culture is sort of at war with dogs uh, and, and all animals, but especially, I think, dogs, because almost everything that dogs naturally do is either illegal or, or we don't approve of it. You know, they eat poop and they run around and they have, <laughs> want to have sex and they, and they uh, want to run free and they want to you know, be with us and come to work and do all kinds of things that they like that they, we can't let them do. And so I think when you get a dog, you almost go to war with the dog's natural instincts in a way. Um, you know, m- most people don't like natural dog behavior. They, they want the Disney dog. Yeah. They want the cute dog that's going to sit there and not make any, any mess or smell, or they don't want to d- deal with diarrhea, yeah. um, which I talk about all over the country, really. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that's a real problem for dogs because I think it's dogs are being restricted more and more. They can't socialize. It's hard to socialize them because they can't go anywhere. There's lawsuits every time one of them, you know, even growls at somebody. Mm-hmm. So they're being restricted and and and, uh, and monitored more and more. I think their lives are very stressful. I think when we add to that, uh, our, we're projecting our own emotional disorders and neurotic behavior onto them, separation anxiety and willfulness, and and, and start misreading them that way, then they get in even more trouble because uh, we're disappointed in them. We medicate them. We don't know how to train them intelligently because we're misperceiving them and their motives. I mean, I think it's really dangerous to give a dog motives, you know, like good and evil. He's being bad. He's being good. A bad dog is a dangerous term for them mm-hmm. because they're not ever being bad any more than they're really being good. They're just being dogs. Mm-hmm. And, and you can try to change the behavior or modify it. But when you start putting these moral judgments on a dog, um, you know, that makes it easier to, to kill them or, or, or lock them up or get rid of them. Mm-hmm. If it's a bad dog, then why should you keep it? And why should you train it? And why should you worry about it? And I think that the projection of, I mean, what separates us from them is that we can be good or bad. You know, we're responsible for our behavior. We can be bad. If we can hurt somebody, it's wrong. We, go to, we get punished. Uh, a dog is simply behaving naturally. A cat is behaving naturally. And to put our own morality on it, I think, it makes it easier to kind of punish and harm them for what's very natural to them. Even more so, I would say, you know, I see a lot of times dogs doing what they do as a result of their humans and what we actually create as a result of how we are interacting with the dogs or how we are reacting to certain situations. And the dogs are kind of feeding off of that feeling and energy of the situation or how we're only, you know, we get a dog and we only give them love and affection and we don't pay attention to their animal needs. That causes issues. But then, you know, turning that on to the dog, that's the bad dog. One thing I hear all the time is, but he knew he, you know, as soon as I came, he knew <laughs> he, he knew wasn't he was being supposed. Bad. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he's probably more anticipating your reaction than 
than, you know, knowing that he shouldn't have done it because that doesn't stop the behavior. They don't think, well, gosh, that garbage. I mean, with Chewy, um, my lab mix, you know, he would get into the garbage if it was there to get into and I wasn't home. He'd get into it because it was there and there was no reason not to. Right. So it's like, okay, well, I just figured out, you know, fortunately now the garbage is in a closet, so it's not an issue. But he would do it. And, and unless I gave him a reason, you know, set something up so that it was like a booby trap and he, something happened so that it wasn't worth it for him to get into the garbage, then he would continue to do it. And it's not good or bad. It's just, he's it's just, dog. it's an opportunistic thing. So I had a woman call me on a talk show and said, well, I have a lab and I'm really unhappy because uh, she's digging holes in the, in the backyard. What should I do? I said, you know, get a poodle. I don't know. <laughs> you got a lab. And uh, that's what they do. And they're going to yeah. look for disgusting stuff, and they're going to find it. Yeah. And, uh, and then you're going to see it later, probably. Yeah. And if you don't want that, then don't get a lab. But, but I think also what you did was great because you're, I do the same thing. I just don't give them an opportunity to fail when I'm out of the house and the dogs are in crates. Mm-hmm. So I've never had one damage the house. So I don't have to come in the house saying, what's going on? Right. What did you do? <gasps> When you see the right. garbage spread out all over the and kitchen. Look what he did, yeah. you bad dog. <laughs> oh. And then the dog gets more tense about your yeah. coming and going, and it just it becomes yeah. an issue that spreads. Mm-hmm. I work with author John Katz of Soul of a Dog, Reflections on the Spirits of the Animals of Bedlam Farm. So, uh, let's see. We were just talking about your killer cat. Mother, I've lived with cats before, and I can say they're definitely different than dogs <laughs> in that way. Um. Something that I really, I thought was wonderful that you wrote about and, and we're talking about was about fly. And, you know, that whole uh, chapter about her. And she was a, you know, a, a rescue border collie. And um, your experience with that and, and your um, discomfort or dis-ease with um, well, I'll just read a quote from the book. <laughs> you put it more eloquently than I would. Uh, Fly unlocked a response in me, something I'd been circumspect of, something that I now consciously seek to limit. It felt good to rescue her, pleasurable. But I don't feel entirely at ease about the status animals have in my life or in our society. Uh, And then you continue to say, I don't want to rescue animals primarily because I want to feel better about myself or better than some other people or morally superior to anyone. The best part of my life with animals is the humility they teach, the humanity they foster. It's easy to feel virtuous, harder to be aware of one's own self-interest. And I appreciate that awareness. And um, will you talk a little bit more about why you, what it is when you say you don't feel entirely at ease about the status animals have in your life? Well, I think, uh, you, you know, that you, you can easily exploit animals to make yourself feel better. And I think because you rescue a dog doesn't make you a good human being or better than anybody else. And I think some people lose sight of that. You know, I think, I think if you do it for the dog and you're thinking about the dog, um, the dog's going to have a good life. If you do it to make yourself feel better, it's just another way of disassociating yourself, I think, from people and from getting the false idea that it makes you a morally superior person. Um, and I think I, I, I was conscious of that when you know, I have a dog, Izzy, who's a rescue dog. And um, 
you know, people say to me all the time when the dog has behavioral problems, well, he was abused. I say, how do you know? Did he tell you that? And they say, well, you can just tell. You know, it's obvious because he doesn't like people. He doesn't like men. He doesn't like somebody with sticks. Um, and as you know, I'm sure as a trainer, you know, anxious dogs, all, all kinds of things make dogs anxious. And as a cattle dog owner. Right, as a cattle dog. <laughs> and I have border collars. Yeah. Um, and, and I was going around saying, well, I, you know, is he is a rescue dog? And he was abandoned on a farm, and I took him in. And, and that was becoming his story. You know, he was an abused rescue dog, and he probably was. Um, and I said, I'm going to stop saying that because, uh, one thing, you know, he was pretty happy when I got him. I mean, he'd been running around a farm for five years, which isn't the worst thing for a border collie. But for another, it, it's, it's, it, was getting, it was something I was doing that was just exploitive, it seemed to me. You know, he wasn't complaining about it. You know, he's not worried about being a rescue dog, and I didn't want to see him that way either in terms of training him or using him to make puff myself up. Um, so I, I found myself, um, I, you know, I, I referring to him, well, he must have been abused, I said a couple of times, or he was a rescue dog, I got off a farm. I decided I was just going to stop saying that because that really wasn't his story anymore. Um, and whatever had happened was in the past, and we, we had moved on with it. And I just didn't want to be using him in that way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, millions of dogs are rescued by wonderful people with, you know, great hearts and wonderful motives. But I think, it, you know, it's not a ticket to heaven. And, and it, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, better than anybody else if you do it. Because I think it takes the focus away from the dog and on you. You know, and, and you have a vested interest in most of the dog being messed up. And I think that's, uh, you know, I'd be interested in how you feel about this as a trainer. I think a lot of people are just happier with their dogs being a mess. Because if they're not a mess, then, you know, it's hard for them to feel better about taking the dog in. You know, they'd like the dog to be a problem, to have trouble, to be troubled, to be angry, to be, you know, bitter about their life and all. I just think it's something to be careful about, um, not to use dogs in that way and, and not to write stories for them that we, you know, can't really accurately vouch for. Hmm. Well, I'd say two things about that. One is to... You know, typically our animals are are a reflection of us. So there's probably a lot of subconscious stuff that's just getting played out and with how sensitive dogs are to our nonverbal communication, that's going to kind of spill over onto them and can actually cause anxiety. And um, so I think that dogs mirror us in a way. I think that focusing on the animal is probably a way to distract us from our own issues. Um, And there was something else, too, but I forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So people being attached to um, the dogs being a mess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a reflection. It's a distraction. But, um, you know, it's also a way for us to think about them and, and maybe avoid responsibility for ourselves. Yeah, and that's what I worry about is that it makes us feel better about having them if they're a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you know, I mean, training a dog is hard. It's a long commitment. You have to really look at yourself and, and how you're acting and how your mannerisms and, mm-hmm. and uh, as you said, get in touch with the animal parts of, of, your, of your own consciousness. It's just hard to do. You know, and... and Thinking about my own experience, especially with Chewy, who was a lot of presence from I had, I got him when I was a junior in college and he 
lived with me from 20 to 32, which is like two lifetimes just in that decade. Uh, and he was very much for me a sort of a handrail, guardrail for me. And you talk a lot about, you know, the, the role that dogs have played in enabling you to live your life the way that you live it. And I really, really connected with that. And and there was a lot to Chewy. And he was loud. He was demanding. He was sweet. He was um, devoted. This was my feeling, my experience of him. He was bossy. I mean, there were a lot of challenging, very challenging parts to him that I really celebrated. So I think it's also like going back to that dogs are animals and dogs are going to display behaviors that we wouldn't want a human to display, but they're dogs. And it's a matter like if you're going to live with a dog, just letting them be who they are because they let us be who we are without judgment. So there's certainly, I mean, that's my, what I do for as a profession is helping people uh, deal with undesirable behaviors and bring dogs into a, you know, a more balanced state ground them so that they're not misbehaving, so to speak, and that they're more manageable in society so that they therefore have more freedom. But, you know, there's lot, there were lots of dog aspects of Chewy that a lot of people probably wouldn't have loved to live with, but that was just who he was, and there wasn't any changing that either. So, And right, and I think there's a point with the dog where in order to change the behavior, you almost have to destroy the character. You know, where there's just you're going so much against their natural instincts that to, to fix it or mm-hmm. to change it um, would almost damage them and yeah. take away their, their their presence, as you put it, which is a good word. Um, I feel that even with with Rose, the border collie, you know, she's not a, not a dog most people would want. She doesn't cuddle. She she hates treats. She growls at people who try to pet her. Yeah, she's very grumpy, and um, she doesn't play, and she's not cute, and. Um, and people come to the farm and they look at Lenore, the lab, and they roll around with her or Izzy who gets in people's laps. And I always say to them, well, which dog, if you could take a dog home, which one would you take? And they never say Rose. They always want either the cute dog or the cuddly dog mm-hmm. um, or the dog that knows how to play them and looks in their eyes and gets them to ooh and ah. And, and yet Rose is by far the most remarkable dog I know and, uh, and at many levels. I mean, you just, you know, just an extraordinary creature. Um, you know, has run the farm and helped me out and made decisions. And um, and I think, well, she's the most natural dog I have, but she's the one almost nobody wants. I don't even know where she sleeps. You know, she doesn't sleep anywhere near me. It comes in once a night to check on things and, yeah. and then goes off to some corner of the, of the house. Yeah. Um, I think she patrols all night. She looks out the window and, and looks for trouble. But I think it's interesting that the, the dog, I would say, is by far the most extraordinary animal that I know, and she's triggered five books already um, (laughs) and novels and all this stuff yeah um is the one nobody really wants yeah and And she's like fine because i don't want to go with you yet you know i I wouldn't want to go with you anyway (laughs) no absolutely no she would hate to be on a book tour she doesn't doesn't want any of that um and 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 i noticed too when people come to to visit uh they all approach her in this way that i think uh is revealing they they coo at her and talk to her and chase her around and keep calling her all the time and bother her and and she just gets really annoyed with it and uh and goes finally just goes off into a corner and, and disappears mm-hmm. um but it's hard for people to just let her be herself yeah and i always say to them she doesn't you know she's not going to bite you but 
she doesn't want to be your pal. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't have anything to offer her. Yeah. And people don't want to accept that. Yeah. Well, that brings up a very good point. We're going to take our last break and we'll be back in just a few minutes with John Katz, author of Soul of a Dog. You're listening to The Dog Talk Show on Alternative Talk 1150. The skies are charcoal gray. It's a dreary downtown day. But at the end of my 30-foot leash, my little friend, Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, driving Miss Norma, one family's journey saying yes to living. She was 90 years old when her husband of 67 years died. Two days later, she was diagnosed with cancer. Instead of succumbing to chemo and a hospital bed, Miss Norma said adios to her doctors and the only life she'd ever known and hit the road with her son, traveling the U.S. in search of nomadic adventures. Join us Monday at New Pacific Time and Friday at 6 a.m. to hear what happened. Catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Talk Show, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. We're back with John Katz, author of Soul of a Dog. Welcome back, John. Thank you. So uh, just to make sure we get this information in, you are in the area. We have John's actually in the booth as opposed to over the phone for this interview. You are going to be at Village Books in Bellingham tonight at 7 p.m. Right. And tomorrow noon at Elliott Bay Bookstore and then 7 o'clock at Third Place Books. Uh, So you're doing some... um, appearances at different places and will you be doing any talkings or readings or just sort of meeting people? Yes, I'll be talking, reading, and taking questions. Okay. Um, probably Elliot Bay will be a little shorter because it's just a lunchtime thing, but mm-hmm. um, no, I take questions and gas on for a while. Great. And uh, is there, do you have a website? Do, bedlamfarm.com. Bedlamfarm.com and that's B-E-D-L-A-M farm.com. Right. So, you know, I, I had to make the the most difficult decision of my life uh, this weekend, this Friday, of whether to, um, you know, try to keep my dog alive at all costs, my 12-year-old dog who was bleeding into his abdomen, where to let him go. And my main 
commitment was what is what is the best for him and of course it was like oh I wish you could just tell me what do you want like I wish you could just tell me and a lot of people said uh, the, the the common thread message really was um, let's follow your instinct listen to your gut and uh, you know I also you know was thinking about you know if, if I'm putting him through all of this stuff potentially having him really suffer for nothing Am I doing that for him or for me? And it became clear that it was definitely that I would be wanting to keep him around if, you know, best case scenario was he would have been with me for just a few more months. So that's really just post avoiding the, you know, avoiding the grieving of him and all that. So that was really for me. So I decided to just let him go and to let him go happily and peacefully and without crisis. Um, and since he's, you know, since I've been without him for a few days and experiencing what I've been experiencing and reflecting on my relationship with him, I wonder, uh, you know, something I've been thinking about is how am I connecting with what in what ways do I connect with him that perhaps I could be connecting with my partner, for instance, uh, you know, in what ways do we have relationships with dogs that we don't necessarily have with other people because it's easier for us? You know, I, I don't have much um, real specific, you know, it's just kind of a feeling that I have something I've been kind of asking myself, but he was such a, I mean, unconditional. I loved every cell of his body. I loved his his naughty things. I loved, every, you know, the sweetness, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, gosh, you know, what about the potential of having that kind of depth of love with fellow humans? Well, I think it's a wonderful observation and and very important, I, I think. Uh, I, I think the companion animal explosion comes a lot out of human need. You know, what's going on in America with dogs and cats is not happening in most countries, any countries really. Um, even England is not, not as animal crazy as we're getting. Um, and I think we are a disconnected culture, and I think uh, I think there's a danger for dogs being given too much emotional responsibility for us. Um, you had a wonderful relationship with with him, and he sounds like a, a wonderful dog. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, you have to ask the question of we're becoming a society that's getting more unconditional support from animals, and it often is getting from people. Yeah. Um, and we're spending more money on healthcare than we spend on children. Healthcare uh, for dogs, um, and that's a that's a change. I, I think what you're already doing and doing it naturally is is using the dog in a good way to learn about love, mm-hmm. which I think is something they can give us and has happened to me. Um, you know, I went through a tough time uh, personally and ended up in a new relationship. And Lenore's the reason, really, the love dog. Um, I was really. She was showing me how to love. She was keeping it alive in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I looked at that dog, it's like the same look you get when you talk about Chewy. I just smile. And um, I would sing to her at night. And, and uh, <laughs> she would wake up with her head on my shoulder and her big brown eyes batting at me. And, and uh, I think she really kept love alive for me. And what I took from it, okay, I want to take that. And I want to I want to find a person, you know, not not love the dogs, but really find a person I can love in somewhat that way. And I did. And I, I really credit her with that. I think she's, I call her the supervisor of love. Um, because if I hadn't had that experience, I, I think it would have been a lot harder for me. I mean, I was pretty closed up. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I think you know, I think what you take from something like Chewy, in my my experience, is is the ability to love, opening, staying open to it, being open to it, and 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 using it in a relationship with a person. I think that's when dogs really a gift they give us is showing us how to live with people too. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful gift, I think. Yeah, and. Uh you know, being able to express the sweetness that we do with our dogs to our fellow humans as well. Because yep. we don't do that enough, I don't no, think. No, I agree. Road rage and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Right. Cell phone anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, John Katz is in the area. He'll be in Bellingham tonight at 7 p.m. at Village Books. Tomorrow at noon at Elliott Bay Bookstore and 7 o'clock at Third Place Books. And uh, how can people get your book, Soul of a Dog? Uh, anywhere. Anywhere their bookstores are online. All right. uh, highly, highly recommend this book. It's been a wonderful read. Wonderful for me in this time, for sure. Yes, I'm sorry about Chewy, but he's like a great a great dog, and you were wise to let him go. Thank you. Um, and I certainly, you know, and he really has taught me a lot, and certainly a lot about love. And, you know, what I can do now is just try to give back what he gave to me. Um, so... This show for sure is dedicated to him. And thanks so much for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We'll be back next week live at 2 p.m. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country, but if you live in Western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the new Pro Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, May 28th, it's a Talk With Your Animals Sunday with gifted animal communicator, medium and Reiki master Darcy Pariso. Darcy can help you talk with and learn about your animal friends or help you connect with animal or human loved ones on the other side. Plan to give us a call on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities. You name it and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living (laughs) in the future. Thanks for listening to this encore edition of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. If you miss any part of this show or any other Dog Show with Julie Forbes, be sure and check out the website dogradioshow.com where you can listen to archives of hundreds of shows. Again, that's dogradioshow.com.
Dogshow.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.